premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired, preserved Word of God, the King James Bible as our final authority, this is the Sword of the Spirit Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Ruciello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the precious Word of God. And my prayer for you today is the same as it is every day, and that is wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform you're listening to this on, that you also find yourself in the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, before we get into the Bible study today, uh, I'm going to ask two things of you. First of all, would you please go over to our website, SwordOfTheSpiritPodcast.com, and then while you're there, go to our contact section and let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, any questions, comments, concerns, and especially your prayer requests. And if you don't like to use the web form, that's okay. Uh, you can email me directly at info at SwordOfTheSpiritPodcast.com. That's info at sort of the spirit podcast.com. And the second thing that I'd like you to do when you get to the website is look for that support this podcast button. Now I've asked you before. So if, if you've been praying about it and the Lord's leading you to do it, would you please consider that contribution uh, to the podcast? We've set it up for 99 cents a month, four ninety nine a month and nine ninety nine a month. And uh, so I just want to say thank you so much for considering it. And I also want to say thank you to all of our current supporters, those who support us prayerfully, those who support us financially, and those also who just tune in every week faithfully and are here with us as we open up the Word of God and study. And it's a tremendous blessing for me uh, to be here to do this, and I hope it's a blessing for you as well. So again... Thank you so much. Now, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good, solid, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, would you please visit us at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? And uh, we meet at 664 North Monroe Street. Uh, our Sunday school hour is at 10 a.m. Our Sunday morning worship is at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening uh, service is at 6 p.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. So um, for more information, you could visit us on our Facebook page. Just log into Facebook, search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And once you find us, you're going to find a, a load of helpful information and also episodes of this podcast. And speaking of where you can find us, uh, we are on Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, uh, CastBox, and very recently, Good Pods. So on whatever platform it is you're listening to us, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to as many people as we could possibly reach. So... Um, before we get into our prayer requests, I just want to let you know that I'm using a new uh, recording platform uh, for the podcast. Not quite sure that I like it, to be very honest. Um, not that it's complicated. It's not at all. Uh, it's just that um, now I have headphones and I'm hearing myself. And I mean, my goodness. <laughs> If this is what I sound like, I am so sorry to everybody. But, um, but uh, yeah, so just bear with me as I get adjusted to this. And, um, and, and man, the microphone just seems so super sensitive. So I got to be careful with uh, the background noise. Um, so let's get into the prayer requests today. Okay, so uh, top of the list, as usual, we have uh, our sister Bernice, who is uh, dealing with cancer. Uh, she started a new treatment uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, according to her husband, Adam, uh, she's doing very well with it, and so we're thankful for that. So it's kind of an update, a praise, and a continued prayer request that the Lord would use this as an opportunity to bring healing 
and as a good testimony to those around. Because like I said before, you know, for someone who's been dealing with cancer the way she has, um, never see her without a smile. So uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, we also want to pray for uh, another sister in our church, Kailani, who is going through some tests uh, for um, MRIs and such. I'm not sure she'd want me to specifically say what it was that they were looking at, but we just want to pray for her as something neurological. And uh, so we just want to keep her in prayer. Uh, she has uh, some amazing kids, and she has a very devoted husband. And so, uh, you know, uh, we just want to pray for her. Uh, we also want to pray for Pastor Martin. Now, last week I mentioned that Pastor Martin was on a new medication, and I think I may have said it was for psoriasis, which it was not. So I apologize for that. It was for eczema. So we want to pray for Pastor Martin that he'll uh, adjust to this medication for his eczema and that it wouldn't um, wouldn't set him back too much. Again, Pastor Martin, like I said before, is just a, a, an amazing man, um, 88 years old, I believe, and he still goes out street preaching. <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's amazing. And with all the health issues that he has, I mean, I just, you know, he's he's just an amazing man, and I, I'm very thankful and very blessed that I've gotten to know him as I have. Uh, we also want to pray for my mom, for her health, and also for her salvation. My sister, for her salvation. My granddaughter, for her salvation. Uh, we have David back in New York, who is uh, in need of salvation as well. And we also want to pray for uh, Bruce. Sorry, I slipped away from the mic there for a second. Uh, Bruce is uh, Pastor Martin's son. And so apparently uh, Bruce had injured himself on the job cut his hand pretty badly to where he almost lost a finger, maybe two, and he's going to need to have surgery to uh, to repair that. So we want to pray for Bruce, and we also want to pray for, um, and this is actually also a praise and an update and a continued prayer, uh, for a woman named Nancy, who I mentioned I think last week as well, who has suffered from uh, two broken ankles and has been bed-bound, uh, from what I understand, uh, she is able now to get up and about, and we're thankful for that, and we just praise the Lord for it, but we want to continue to pray for Nancy as well. And then last but not least, we want to pray for our students uh, that will be going back to school in the next, uh, in the upcoming weeks, and uh, we just want to pray for them, and with all the craziness that's going on in schools these days, uh, we just pray that the Lord would preserve them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll also pray for the Bible study. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all your blessings. We want to thank you for the love and the mercy that you've shown us. Father, we want to thank you for the tremendous gift of salvation that you've given us through your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, this evening as we come before the throne of grace with the uh, petitions of our heart, Father, we want to just lift up all of those that are on our prayer list, we think of Bernice, we think of her husband Adam, we also think of Pastor Martin, uh, and we pray for his health, and we pray for the medications that he's on, uh, that they wouldn't adversely affect him. And Father, we want to pray for his son Bruce, with uh, the injury that he sustained at work. Father, we just pray that you would use the doctors in, in, a, in a way that um, they'd be able to, uh, through surgery, repair and restore the use of his hand from this, this horrible accident. Father, we also want to pray for Kailani. We want to lift her up to you today, Lord, as well as she's going for these uh, MRIs and these continued tests. And we just pray for her that you would give her and her family a grace uh, as they endure this time. Father, we also want to pray for my sister for her salvation. We also lift up my granddaughter for her salvation. Uh, David, back in New York, is uh, in need of salvation, so we lift him up to you as well. And, Lord, we also want to pray for uh, Kurt, uh, who's a minister in uh, Massachusetts. Lord, we want to pray for his ministry. Uh, he's asked for prayer for his health and also for the baby that is on the way, which is number three. So, Lord, we commit all these things to you and also the unspoken prayers of our heart. And, Father, we just pray that you would just answer them according to your perfect will for our lives. And we'll thank you for it. And, Lord, also, please bless the Bible study. I almost forgot about that. 
Lord, please bless the Bible study as we go forward, as we close out this little series in Bible types. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. All right, folks. Well, uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to take a little break. And that'll give you a chance to go get your uh, King James Bible. Grab yourself a cup of coffee. I have mine. Grab yourself a bottle of water. I have mine there, too. And when we come back, we're going to be getting into our study for today on part three of the eight miracles in John. Okay, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Stay with us. All right. Hey, welcome back. What a great song. That is um, a very good friend of mine and a brother in Christ. His name is Chris Spinelli. Uh, he has a great YouTube page, so just search for him, Chris Spinelli. Uh, and he was gracious enough to let us use that song. Um, it's actually one of my favorite songs, too. So um, so it's a real blessing to have it. I don't know if I mentioned that before. I know I've used the song before at, at certain points. But uh, something that I forgot to bring up, and shame on me for it, um, uh, I got a question actually, uh, by email from, uh, a man named Andy who asked, um, what book should a new Christian start with when reading his Bible after getting saved? 
All right. Um, well, most people will tell you that uh, the best thing for a new convert to read would be the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John's a great book, absolutely. Um, but I, I usually send people over to First Thessalonians because the first two epistles to Thessalonica are are the most important uh, Pauline epistles. Uh, especially for a new convert to, uh, to Christ to read. And like I said, you know, we recommend John primarily because of his emphasis on the deity of Christ. And, uh, and of, of course, also on believing. And uh, But if you go over to John chapter 20 and look at verse 31, you see that uh, John was primarily written to convert a sinner. So uh, John 20, verse 31 says, But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So um, so it, it's written more toward a, a person who is uh, not yet saved or not yet converted. Uh, great book. I mean, don't misunderstand that at all. And I would encourage a new believer in Christ to read that book as well. But to get started, First Thessalonians. Um, and part of the reason for that is that when, um, um, how do I put it? How do I put it? Uh, First Thessalonians is, it's important because it's, it's, it emphasizes the second coming of Christ, and that's one of the main themes uh, of the book and of the entire Old Testament, actually. There's over 500 verses that point to it. And then the new new convert should naturally get into Second Thessalonians and to read about it further. And, and, and all of that is just essential Bible doctrine. So First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, John, Romans, that's the order that I would give. So, Andy, I hope that answered your question. And uh, with that, we're going to get into our Bible study in just a moment. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good, its design, and the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right. Now, let's get into this study. We have a lot of ground to cover. So uh, would you take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 9? John chapter 9. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying uh, Bible types, and uh, we started off with typing Joseph as a type of Christ, and uh, we talked about how Joseph was a type of Christ in about 150 different ways. Uh, we didn't look at 150 examples of it. We could have, but we didn't. We looked at maybe 20 or 25 of them, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, we kind of launched over into the New Testament, and we got into this study on the eight miracles in John uh, as uh, another example of Bible types, uh, because the type is something that pictures something that's uh, yet future. So um, 
so we started that uh, two weeks ago in uh, the Gospel of John, and we've looked at five of them so far, which leaves three for us to do today, which is going to be a challenge. Uh, but uh, how about we just, uh, just just jump right into this? Let's finish it up and let's get to it. All right, uh, John chapter nine. John chapter nine, and we'll begin in verse one. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, frequently that's an assessment made by biblically ignorant people. All right, if you have any kind of malady, it's because of sin. Well, if you're talking about sin nature, yeah, that's right, but not a specific sin. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So what we're confronted with is a blind man that Jesus is going to fix up. Now, in the, now there are five incidents in the Gospels uh, where Jesus is healing blind people in the Bible. All right, They're found in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 12, Mark chapter 8, uh, Mark 10, and here in John chapter 9. Uh, what these accounts demonstrate is that blindness was one of the most common handicaps of the time. Now, in your Bible, blindness, physical blindness, <clears throat> is a picture or uh, representative, <clears throat> excuse me, of spiritual blindness. Now, but in reality, which is worse? Which is worse? Uh, spiritual blindness, right? A physically blind man can get saved and he can go to heaven, right? A man that's blind spiritually will go to hell so it's far better to be physically blind than spiritually blind so the malady isn't connected to a specific sin but to his birth we are all born with that problem it's called a sin nature we all have that particular difficulty jesus said neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of god should be made manifest in him God often displays his power in the midst of unfortunate circumstances. You know, the Lord didn't walk around and indiscriminately perform miracles. You know, uh, he didn't perform miracles to entertain the troops. He didn't perform miracles because he was um, a traveling carnival show. That, that's not why the Lord did that. When the Lord performed a miracle, there was always a pressing, immediate need. Now, some folks say, Lord, give me a sign. Now, the Lord says there's no particular need for me to give you a sign. But that's what we want, right? That's what we desire. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the idea here is that you can't receive any light to work the works of God without Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we I mentioned this, uh, but in your Bible... The moon is a type of the church. The sun out there in the sky is a type of the Godhead. Okay, and you find that in Malachi chapter 4. Did you know it, it took centuries for science to figure out what God told us a long time ago in the book of Job, Job when he said, The moon giveth no light of itself. Now, maybe you didn't know that, but it's true. It's true. There's no light generated from the moon. The moon reflects light. It reflects the light of the sun. Now, over in Song of Solomon, the church is compared to the moon. Now, you and I don't have any light within ourselves or any capability of generating light, but we reflect light. Now, someone can argue that, well, the Holy Spirit is in us, and he's a member of the Godhead, so he is light. Well, that's true, but we're still reflecting light. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I am. There's a whole bunch of I am statements in the book of John. Uh, just quickly, turn over to John 8. John 8. So the next time uh, you know the uh, Jehovah's Witness folks show up at your front door, here's what you need to ask them. You need to ask them, do you believe that Jehovah is the great I am? Now, of course, they're all going to say, yeah, yeah, I believe that. Jehovah is the I am. Okay, John 8, verse 58. 
Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So was Jesus lying? He identified with God, didn't he? He declared that he is the I am that God said that he was back in the book of Exodus. And that's consistent with all the other I am's of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look them up on your own. Uh, we're not going to take time to do that. But I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Jesus declared that he was several things consistent with the I am theology. All right. Uh, John 9 verse 6. John 9, verse 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the, of the blind man with the clay. So perhaps this, is a, this treatment here is a reminder, uh, first of all, that, that um, this man is made of clay and born of water. You were born of water, but you're made of clay. Isn't that not so? Jesus, using this, unusual uh, solution to heal this man's blindness or malady is, is just a reminder of that. But watch this. But watch this. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now verse 7. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. So his sight did not return immediately. It didn't come back right away. He had to go do something. And then he got his sight. Okay, go over to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark 8, and let's look at uh, verse number 22. Mark 8, verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and he besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go I into the town, nor tell it. Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Okay, so here's another occasion where a man got his sight gradually. Uh, in that interim, though, he said, well, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees. Now, trees in your Bible are representative of different types of people. For example, um, the green bay tree is a picture of the wicked. The palm tree is a picture of the righteous. The oak tree is a picture of the steadfast. You have all these different trees that are representative of different types of people. Um, the giant cedar tree in the book of Ezekiel is a type of the devil. And, you know, maybe that's why the environmentalists want to save the, uh, you know, the old growth trees. You know, covert worship of the devil, maybe. So the, the idea is that, first of all, not everybody sees instantly. Some do. Some don't. But here we have two occasions where the men didn't get their sight instantly, but it was a process. Now, I'm going to try to make a practical application here, okay? Um, how many times have you witnessed to folks and some of them got it right away and then others just no response at all? It's like nothing happened. But don't get discouraged by that. You know, I know a guy that was witnessed to time and time and time again and it just never seemed to settle in. Then about four years later, it was like someone plugged in the Christmas tree. You know, he started coming to church and then he got saved and he's been going ever since being as faithful as he can be. Sometimes it takes a while for the light to turn on. It took him a while to see it, but he finally got it. You can't get it without exposure. So maybe you've been working on someone for a while now and they just, they just don't seem to get it. Well, my advice is don't give up. Don't give up. Not everyone sees it instantly. All right, let's get back to the book of John, verse 7. And said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, when you receive your sight, when you finally get your sight, do you know what you are to do? Do you know what you are? 
You're sent. You're sent. Siloam means sent. So do you know what the Lord wants you to do? Well, he wants you to go. He wants you to go. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to leave to some foreign mission field somewhere, but you're sent to be a messenger. You're sent to be an ambassador. You're sent to be a witness. You're sent. Sent. Now, the prophetic picture here is found over in Romans chapter 11. So let's go over there. Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Now, there's a question here. Okay? There's a question. Uh, Would this guy have regained his sight had he not completed the command? If he just said, look, spit and clay is good enough for me. I don't need to go to the pool of Siloam. But he had to follow through, didn't he? He had to follow through to get his sight. Romans chapter 11, and let's look at verse 7. Romans 11, verse 7. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may see not, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. So this blind man is a picture of a larger issue. That issue is Israel itself. Israel today finds itself in a state of spiritual blindness, don't they? They just don't have the picture, and that's their present circumstance. However, the next miracle in the book of John helps us to understand that that, that's not their permanent circumstance. It's only temporary. All right, John chapter 11. Let's take a look at it. John chapter 11. One of the distinct characteristics of any cult, and believe me, there are several, but one of the most prominent characteristics of any cult is when they're trying to take the promises of God that are applied to Israel and apply them to themselves. They try to steal Israel's promises. Folks, folks, you don't need Israel's promises. You've got your own, and your own are pretty good. I wouldn't want to trade them. Theirs are good, but I like mine better. Now, this story here in John chapter 11, this is just a great story. This is a great story. John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Now Lazarus is a bona fide, certified Jew. He's a picture of the nation. Just like the blind man was in his blindness, Lazarus is a picture of the nation of Israel. And Israel presently finds itself in a very sick situation. They're sick spiritually. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now, let's take a look at something. Just keep your finger here and go back to John 9 for a second. And let's look at verse 3. John 9, verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So it's not the primary will of God for Israel to be blind or sick. They're in that condition of their own free will and volition. However, God has the unique ability to take a bad thing and ultimately turn it around for his honor and his glory. You know, God can do that. And we've seen that verified twice in John chapter 9 and John chapter 11. So this sickness is for what? The glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. All right, now verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. You know, never question the love of Jesus. Probably the best thing that we can do for our children is to teach them that 
you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know, we have a lot of little kids in this world that aren't sure that mom and dad really love them. And that's tragic. That's really tragic. They may not be sure that anyone in their family loves them. So it's all the more important that they're assured that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves me, this I know. Never, ever doubt the love of Jesus Christ. Now, verse 6. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Well, isn't that interesting? I mean, if you called your pastor and you said, Pastor, I'm having open-heart surgery tomorrow. Would you come over and pray with me before I go to the hospital? And your pastor says, okay, I'll be there in two days. Well, I think you'd probably be a little tweaked, wouldn't you? You'd probably be offended. I mean, what kind of a pastor is that? He's not going to come for two days? He doesn't love me. Well, that's what Pastor Jesus did. It's strange, isn't it? He abode two days still in the same place where he was. Lazarus is sick. Oh, well. Have some more iced tea, fellas. We're not going to panic. Now, I think I've talked about this before. Uh, not sure. Uh, but this two-day thing. Now, I'm not going to beat this drum very hard, but let's flip over to Second Peter for a second. Second Peter chapter 3. So this is for those of you that may not have been exposed to this. Uh, you need to catch a glimpse of it, okay? Uh, God has a lot of formulas in, in the place in his Bible. All right, God has a lot of interesting things about numbers in his Bible. God has a book called Numbers in his Bible. God is a mathematician. All right, Second uh, Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, and let's look at verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, this isn't the first time that the Bible indicates that. You get this back over in Psalm 90 as well. God says a day equals a thousand years. So in some type of equation, that's how God says this thing works. Now, if that's true, and it is because God says so, think about the days of creation. You have six days of creation and one day of rest for a total of seven. If each day is equal to a thousand years, then how would that work out? From Adam to Christ, who's called the second Adam, you have 4,000 years. Uh, then you have the church age. And then you have the day of rest, the millennial kingdom, which is a 1,000 years. And we know that's a fact, don't we? I mean, God tells us six times in Revelation chapter 20 that it's a 1,000 years. So the Lord's going to return and he's going to set up his kingdom and he's going to rule for a thousand years. Then by deduction, which is bad theology, by the way, um, we can say that the church age is 2000 years. So now Jesus here is demonstrating something. He waited two days. Let's go over to John chapter two, John chapter two. And I think we hit this just slightly when we were in John chapter two, uh, two weeks ago, but if you missed it, repetition is key to learning. Okay, John chapter two, John chapter two and verse one. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. So, what's the third day from the time Jesus showed up performing miracles? Well, there's a marriage that's going on on the third day, right? It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what it is. Do you know what the millennial kingdom is? Well, you're the bride. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. That feast is your honeymoon. You have a 1,000-year honeymoon. Hey, that's not too bad, right? Not at all. Then over in John chapter 4 and verse 40, please. John chapter 4 and verse 40. <clears throat> John chapter 4, verse 40. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. All right. Uh, and she runs into the village and she says, 
man, you've got to come. You're, you're not going to believe this guy. He's told me everything that I've ever done. And her life was so checkered that they all wanted to check that out. And verse 40, we'll pick it up. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. So Jesus is staying here two days with the Samaritans who are a half Jew and half Gentile. He stays there two days. But that's not all. Go over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know the parable? I hope so. So I'm going to trust that you do. Let's pick it up in verse 33. Luke 10 verse 33. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion on him. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him up on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again I will repay thee. Now a pence in your Bible is one day's wages. So he gives the guy two days wages. And notice what he says. He says, when I return. Not if I return, when I return. So what's going on here? Well, the innkeeper is a picture of the Holy Spirit. This poor guy in the ditch is a picture of you and I. Lost Gentiles alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's who we are right there. Then the Good Samaritan, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes along. He picks us up, pours oil into our wounds, and patches us up and saves us. He takes us to the innkeeper and says, I'm coming back. In the meantime, here's two days' wages. All right? But that's not all. Let's go to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. And I know that we're looking through a few of these, but you need to know that the Lord waited two days, not because he's neglecting Lazarus. It's not because he doesn't love Lazarus. But there are a couple of reasons. One is, is that it's a demonstration of a prophetic scheme of things. And let me put the second one this way. What's the bigger miracle? I mean, you know the story. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. What's the bigger miracle? Healing Lazarus when he's sick or raising him when he's dead? Well, that's the greater miracle, isn't it? Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return unto the Lord. Now, this whole thing is about the restoration of Israel at the second advent of Jesus Christ. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. Has the Lord torn Israel? Well, what was Hitler all about? What was the Spanish Inquisition all about? Do you know about Ferdinand and Isabella? I mean, you know about them in reference to Columbus, but do you know about them in reference to what they did to the Jews? Has Israel been torn? Oh, you bet they have. You bet they have. For he hath torn, and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. When? After two days will he revive us. In the third day, he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. After two days, two days. So we have two days, then the Lord's going to fix Israel. Do you know what this whole thing is a picture of? This whole thing is a picture of the church age. The Lord says, I can't go yet. I have to wait two days because I'm demonstrating something that's yet to come. Uh, there's a lot of prophecy built into this thing right here. Oh, there's a lot of prophecy. Let's go back to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. You know, folks, we have an amazing, an amazing book. I mean, wow. John chapter 11, and let's look at verse 7. The immediate follow-up. He stays where he is for two days. Verse 7. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. Again. Now we're going back. After two days. After two days, do you know what the Lord's doing? He's coming back. He's coming back. There are no, no, there are no misplaced words in that Bible. 
Every single word has an incredible significance. And we miss a lot of it, but it's there for a reason. Verse 8, his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Well, they did worse than stone him the first time. They crucified him. And even so, the Lord says he's coming back again. But when he comes back again, he's not coming back as a suffering servant. Oh, no, 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 no. He's coming back as a conquering king. Jesus answered and said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of, his, of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. Wow. You know, there's a whole sermon right there. It's a whole sermon right there. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. I mean, do, do you see what they're thinking? They're thinking, the guy's just sick. Sick people need sleep. So that's a good thing. Jesus said he's asleep. That's good, Lord. He shall do well. Howbeit, Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking a rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly. You know, Jesus doesn't always talk plainly. Sometimes he spoke in parables. Well, this time he couldn't make it any more plain. Lazarus is dead. Now, isn't it interesting? The Jews believed in a resurrection of the dead. And we'll see that confirmed in verse 24. They believed in a resurrection of the dead. They believed that one day there would be this um, one general resurrection, but they knew nothing about a resurrection from the dead. There's a difference. Of the dead, from the dead. So do you see what Jesus is hinting at here? Well, he's hinting at a rapture. Because he said, Lazarus is asleep. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Take your Bible. Let's turn over there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I mean, if you're saved and know the Lord and you become what this world calls dead, God says you're not dead. God says you're asleep. Verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, how many of you know someone that, that knew the Lord and now they're asleep? Well, if they knew the Lord, they're not dead. God says they're asleep. Now, that's not the false doctrine of soul sleep, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not it at all. Their body is asleep. Their soul and spirit are in heaven. That's not asleep. Their body is awaiting a resurrection. So Jesus is hinting at something that the Jews had no understanding of whatsoever when he said that Lazarus is asleep. Let's go back to John chapter 11 and verse 15. John 11 verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now that again refers us to what I mentioned a little while ago. Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. Well, why, Lord? Why are you glad you weren't there? Because then it would have been a minor miracle. I mean, in the light of all of Jesus' capabilities, it was really no big deal to heal a sick guy. But raising people from the dead? Well, that's a little bit more noticeable, don't you think? I mean, if I went out to the local cemetery here tonight and I called out about 10 people out of the grave... I think that would definitely get the attention of the folks out here in Maverick County. I mean, even the local newspaper would have to report on it, right? I mean, that would definitely get somebody's attention. So Jesus said, here we go. Verse 16, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. <sighs> Thomas... Thomas, 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 Thomas. Thomas, you missed it. You missed the whole point. Thomas had somehow concluded from that conversation that the best possible solution is just to go die. Oh, boy. You know, the Bible says that what God wants is not a dead sacrifice. 
He wants a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves, you send, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The real belief is predicated on the absenteeism of Jesus. If he had been there, a healed Lazarus would not have taught everything that we need to have learned from this. So Jesus said in verse 15, to the intent that you may believe. Faith first, evidence later. But see, we all want to reverse that, don't we? God, give me some evidence, then I'll believe. Well, if he gives you the evidence first, that's not faith. There's no faith involved if he gives the evidence first. You believe first, then somewhere down the road, God gives you the evidence. I mean, Thomas may have missed the message, but you know, sooner or later, he got it. Sooner or later, he got it. Verse 17, Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Now, the Jews had a belief that uh, resurrection was possible within three days, but not four. Now, of course, that's confirmed when Martha says, Lord, he's been dead four days. He stinketh. Jesus said, Roll away the stone. Verse 18, now, Bethany was nigh into Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. Now, I gotta, gotta, I'll admit, I got hung up on that a little bit. About 15 furlongs. Now, if you know me, if you've been listening for a while, I get hung up on numbers, all right? Because I just figure that every number in the Bible has some kind of a significance. I just can't figure them all out. But, uh, but I know they're there for a reason, and the Lord put them there for a reason. The Lord didn't say 14, 13, or 16. He said 15. So I did a little research on the number 15. What is 15? How does God use it? And you know, God is so consistent. This really is the most amazing book on the entire planet. For example, uh, Genesis chapter 7, we read that the, the ark was born by the flood 15 cubits upward. So the water was 15, higher than, 15 cubits higher than the tallest mountain on the planet. The people in the ark were being delivered. That was the real deliverance, right? Hezekiah. Hezekiah's reprieve from death, and you find that in Second Kings 20, was what? It was 15 years. The Jews were delivered from death under Esther on the 15th day of the month. Just a coincidence. Don't get too excited about your Bible. Bethany, where Lazarus was raised, was 15 furlongs from Jerusalem. Do you know what Lazarus was about to be? He was about to be delivered from the bondage of the grave in those grave clothes. Deliverance is only 15 furlongs down the road, Lazarus. It's approaching. It's coming. Deliverance is on the way. Do you know what the Lord says to you and I? You're in bondage right now to the extent that you're in bondage to your flesh. Romans 8 says we're waiting to be delivered. It's right down the road. It literally is right down the road. So it's no accident, in my estimation, that Bethany was 15 furlongs off. Paul's ship anchored safely 15 fathoms of water on the 14th day after 13 days of toil and trial in Acts chapter 27. Just a coincidence, right? Just a coincidence. Don't get too excited about your Bible. On the 15th day of the first month was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What did that immediately follow? Oh, the Passover. It's a picture of deliverance. On the 15th day of the seventh month was the Feast of Tabernacles, a picture of deliverance yet to come, the second advent. There are no coincidences in your Bible, folks. None. We have the most amazing book ever. I mean, how could you not see that? How about verse 19? Let's get into verse 19. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha... As soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. So that's kind of a picture of um, Matthew uh, 25, right? And the ten virgins. Some are ready and some aren't. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So you see, she's just clinging to the belief and the concept of a general resurrection sometime down the road in the future. She believed that. 
And Jesus is teaching her about something else. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? If you're asleep, are you dead? If you're asleep, are you dead? I mean, some of us sleep like we're dead. But if you're asleep, you're not dead. What did Jesus say? He said, shall never die. As a believer, you have a promise that you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're not going to face death. You're just going to go to sleep. That's God's estimation of it. Again, this is a reference to the verses that we read a little while ago. Jesus is just really just uh, beginning to illuminate the hearts and minds of these people of something other than a general resurrection of the dead. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she, said, when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. Now that is a rich, rich verse. A rich verse. And let me show you why. When you and I get resurrected, it's a secret resurrection. The, res the rapture is a secret. It's done as a thief in the night. The second advent, the Lord appears in all his glory. But when the Lord calls us, I mean, look at the verse. The master has come and calleth for thee. Did you know what you're waiting for? You're waiting for a calling. You're waiting for a voice. You're waiting for a trumpet. You're waiting to be called. And it's a secret. Man, this is an amazing, amazing book. I mean, I mean, how the Lord just weaves all this stuff together. Good night. An amazing book. Oh, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. So do you know what's going to happen? When you hear it, you're going to rise quickly. Up you go like a rocket ship. Now, Jesus was not yet coming to the town, but was at that place where Martha met him. So is Jesus coming to the earth in the rapture? No, he's not coming to town, is he? No, you're going to meet him in the air. So the, do you see all these little hints that the Lord gives you in this stuff? I mean, isn't the Bible cool? It's amazing. Oh, praise the Lord for it. Verse 31. The Jews then, which were with her in her house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So Mary is just repeating what Martha already said. If you had just been here, they still hadn't grasped the concept that he really wasn't dead, that he was asleep, according to the authority of Jesus Christ. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Now what troubles Jesus? What troubles Jesus? Lack of faith. Lack of faith. They don't get it. Do you know what troubles Jesus about us? The same thing. The same exact thing. That's what troubles Jesus about us. It's a lack of faith. We don't get it. We don't really believe some of the things that he's told us. And said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in your Bible. Now, is Jesus weeping over Lazarus? I mean, think about it. Why would you weep over a guy that you know is about to come out of the grave? Why would you do that? That doesn't make sense. He's weeping because of their inability to grasp what he's communicating to them. Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Well, sure he could have. Sure, sure he could. Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and the stone lay upon it. Now that word groaning, that's an interesting word. We pick up that word in Romans chapter 8. And uh, do you know what groaning is? Groaning is a reference to something about to be delivered. Right? Women in labor groan. Now look at this thing here. 
Romans 8, verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. Now, I don't know if you've experienced it, but if, have you ever just kind of looked at the world and the condition of the world and the circumstances of the world and just kind of just groaned? Well, that groaning is an indicator that there's something better on the other side. And you're just waiting to get there. So they come to this grave and they lay a stone upon it. Uh, we're back over in John chapter 11 and verse 39. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Now, in those days, they didn't embalm people. All right. So, you know, stick a corpse in the ground for four days. Yeah, man, he's going to stink. Uh, Jesus saith unto her, said Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? So the whole thing hinges on one simple thing. Believing. That's all. Faith. Believing God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always because of the people which stand by it. By I said it that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And that's pretty explanatory. Um, and when he thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Man, I was just thinking, you know, when I get to heaven, I want an instant replay of this one. <laughs> Don't you? I mean, this has got to be, I mean, <laughs> I mean, just think, not just the fact that Lazarus is coming out of the grave, you know, uh, verse 44, um, and he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen these things, which Jesus did believed on him. I mean, that had to be a sight. Here's this guy. He is all bound up like a mummy. So I, I guess he was just kind of like floating out there, right? I mean, what a thing to behold. I would be interested in just seeing the faces of the onlookers. I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, just think about what kind of a study that would be. Just watching these folks that are observing this. Oh, man. I mean, Lazarus is asleep. Even though in, even though in worldly terms he's dead, he's resurrected. The next resurrection you and I are waiting for is a secret one. When the master calls. Now, let me see how much time we got here. Well, we've been over an hour already. Um, let's go back here really quick. All right. Um, it's been over an hour. I have one more. It'll, I can do it in five minutes. All right. John 21. John 21. I'll give you the short version. Okay. John 21. Uh, this one is post-resurrection. Jesus has come out of the grave. He appears periodically to his disciples, and this is one of those appearances. John 21, verse 3. Simon, Peter's, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They, sent, they answered him, No. Then he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now this is probably just a small observation, and that really has no concrete validity to it whatsoever. But you have to have fun once in a while, right? He didn't say cast your nets on the left side, right? He said cast your net on the right side. So in other words, Jesus knows where there are more fish, right? Now, I want you to stop and think just for a moment about where we got, you know, liberals are called left and conservatives are called right. Doesn't the Bible say that Jesus sits on the right hand of the Father? Isn't that interesting? For whatever it's worth. <laughs> I mean, that's all. Just for whatever it's worth. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. 
They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for the multitude of fishes. The narrative goes on, and they're dragging the net in full. And they're the narrative goes on, and they're dragging the net full of fish. And we get down to verse eleven, and Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three, and there were so many, yet the net was not broken. Now this is the eighth miracle in John. Okay, eight is the number of new beginnings. We have a new beginning here in John twenty-one. The new beginning features a story about catching many fish. There's no secret as to what the fish represent in the Bible. Didn't Jesus say early in his ministry, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? Fishers of men. A new beginning emphasizes catching fish. The blind man that went to the pool of Siloam, he was sent. The emphasis throughout the word of God is go and catch some fish. Now, take a look at this. This is an odd number. Okay, odd number, 153, 153. Isn't that an odd number? Why not a gross? Why not round it off and call it 150? Why not several bushels or a boatload? Why 153? Now, I kind of wondered about that. And I remembered reading in Mr. Bullinger's book on Bible numerology, what I think was an adequate explanation. He walks you through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he exposes to you one by one every passage, every example, every single person mentioned in those Gospels that Jesus had had some kind of a personal contact with. And guess what? It comes to 153. Now, just a bunch of men wrote that book, right? Just a bunch of, just a bunch of men wrote the Bible, really. 153. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You want a new beginning in your life? You want your life to really matter? To make a difference? You want a, a level of satisfaction in your life that you've never realized? Go fishing. Go fishing. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. A new beginning. A new beginning. And you know what, folks? We really went way over time, and it took me longer than the five minutes to do that. So, uh, so we're going we're gonna to bring it to an end right here. So, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of our show. Uh, and I really hope that you found these studies in First John, I'm sorry, in the Gospel of John, a true blessing to you and these eight miracles. If you have any questions, any comments, feel free to reach out. Info at sortofthespiritpodcast.com. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, may God bless you. May God keep you and have a great, great day. Take care. You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.